Hello, and welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe God works through people every day to help us. These people are selfless and so very humble. The majority of us don't even know they exist or existed. My name is Angel, and each podcast I will showcase one of these amazing people. Their stories will uplift, inspire, encourage, support, heal, and give you hope. Hello and welcome to the show. How is everyone doing? I hope you're all doing well and that you're blessed. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for finding us and for tuning in. And if you're returning, thank you so much for returning. This week we're going to discover Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, also known as Metropolitan Anthony of Saros. A couple of weeks ago we did a show on Father Seraphim that was... Truly amazing. And if you haven't had a chance to check that out, please go back and do so. It, again, I, <laughs> I know I always say this, but he was truly amazing. And he really uh, sparked my interest in the Orthodox Church. Um, I wasn't aware of it at the time as I was going through uh, that show uh, that he was Orthodox. Again, you know, the material that I had was very, very limited and very mysterious um, with Father Seraphim. Again, check that out, that episode out, and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but I did some more digging and, and found that, you know, he is from the Orthodox Church or the Eastern Church, as it's sometimes referred to, um, which is similar to Catholicism, but not similar to Catholicism. Um, and, you know, thus when I made the mistake of the using the term to refer, refer to Ilya II, uh, their patriarch uh, in Georgia, this, the country, as a pope, that was uh, a big no. I should not have done that. I was just going based on the information I had, which was extremely limited and translated not so well. But, you know, again, I take responsibility for uh, what I share with you guys. So, um, again, it spar- sparked my interest in the Orthodox Church because I knew nothing of it and I'm happy to say I'm learning about it, and as I'm learning, um, I found an amazing podcast um, that is sharing audio teachings and homilies that were given by uh, a man who definitely, definitely should be a saint, uh, known as Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, or also known as Metropolitan Anthony of Saros, um, and Metropolitan is a title which is similar, not exactly like, but similar to uh, the um, title of Archbishop. So I would never refer to him as Archbishop, but just giving everybody uh, a kind of an idea of what that term means, because I had never seen it or heard of it before until until this this great being. Um, so we're going to discover a little bit more about him uh, in this show, and I hope you all enjoy. So the story of Metropolitan Anthony of Soros is really um, awesome. It's really amazing. It's, it's really heart-wrenching, too, to see what he went through in his early life and how it changed him as he went through life. We're going to get into that in a little bit here because... Um, there's actually a teaching or also known as a homily 
that he gave. It's called I Believe in God. Now, those of you who are listening that aren't Christian or of any faith, um, please continue to listen because there are some really great tools and some some really great things in um, this teaching that he gave from the very core and heart of his being um, that will help you. I guarantee it. And I promise you that if so, if you just hang in there and anytime there is a reference to God, please feel free to, you know, substitute it with whatever you practice and whatever you follow. Again, you know, it doesn't matter what you label that, which is because it's, it's formless, it's labelless, it's everything, you know, you can't put your finger on it, but it's there. Um, and we'll get into this more as far as my personal feelings and perspectives are on this in um, episode 20, which is going to be the season finale. Now, please note that's not going to be the series finale. It's going to be only the season finale because we will be back for a season two. And that's definitely something I want to cover because a lot of people would say, well, you say you're Catholic and you've been Buddhist and you've been this and you've been that and you've been Advaita and been Vedanta and, you know, you study the Vedas and um, you seem like you're pretty mixed up, messed up. And I'll admit I'm a mutt. <laughs> I admit that freely. And I have no problem. I'm, I'm proud to be a mutt. And I'm going to share in episode 20 the benefits of being a mutt. And... Um, you know, again, we'll get more into that as we go. But again, for those of you who aren't of the Christian faith, you know, please, you know, stay tuned. And if you're Catholic, please continue to stay tuned and listen, because even though it's from the Orthodox Church, as a matter of fact, Metropolitan Anthony of Soros is Roman Orthodox. So um, I know I know that could be taboo for for Catholics, but please Put all of this aside and just listen to what I'm going to share with you with an open heart and open mind. And if you do that, I guarantee that you're going to benefit from this so, so much. I know. There I go again, sounding like I'm trying to sell a used car. I swear. I, I crack myself up sometimes on that too. It's like, Angel, what are you trying to sell here? And it's not. I'm just trying to present it to you um, disarmed and dismantled and in, in, in as, as, as soft and cuddly uh, and lovingly and compassionately as possible so that you will get this and, and, and love it and embrace it and put it into your toolbox and into your heart as, as much as I do. So Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, who we're just going to go ahead and refer to as Metropolitan Anthony of Soros, because uh, in the as far as the authorship of the the title of this teaching, I believe in God, that's what he's referred to. So that's what I will honor and respect. He was born June 19th, 1914 in Lausanne, Switzerland. It's L-A-U-S-A-N-N-E. Sorry, my Swiss is not very good. Uh, and he he passed away on August 4th, 2003 in London of the UK at the age of 89. So before we get into the teaching, I want to share a little bit of what I learned uh, about this great being through some of the podcasts that I've listened to. Um, and I will share that podcast uh, in the link or link to that podcast in the show notes. Um, I don't know how you all get your podcast. Um, I use an app called Podcast Guru, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well on the website. Um, 
so you can get that information. And Podcast Guru for me works really well. It's very simple. It's very easy. Um, and that's how I found his his this whoever put this podcast up. Bless them infinitely for for sharing this. So when Metropolitan Anthony of Soros was little, say six or seven years old, he lived in Austria with his mother. And this is some backstory before we begin the actual teaching. So his um, mother took him to enroll him in school and she took him to, I guess, a place where they decide what you what school you're fitting into, because most of those schools at the time were religious based. So she first took him and he went into a room with a rabbi a Jewish rabbi and the rabbi looked at him and said, where's your little cap on, on your head? And he said, my mother always told me not to wear a hat indoors because there could be a sacred image of Jesus or a crucifix. And immediately the rabbi shoot him out the door. Didn't want to have nothing to do with him because he wasn't Jewish. Um, you have to take in consideration what he was born in 1914. So what, seven years or six years would be 1920, between 1920 and 1921, this, this took place. So the next room he, he went to, he was with a Catholic priest and the Catholic priest started talking to him and um, said, you know, well, have you had this? Have you done that? You know, asking him all the things that you would have done by the age of six or seven if you were Catholic. And um, Metropolitan uh, Anthony of Soros said, oh, no, I'm, I'm Orthodox. And the priest actually called him a heretic and kicked him out of the room. So you could only imagine how upset a child would be. You're already I mean, if any of you remember your first days of school, could you put yourself in his place? How scared were you? How frightened were you? And this wasn't even just like going to your first day. This was trying to get in and trying to fit in. Well, he quickly learned that where he was, that was going to be impossible. So his mother eventually took him to a Catholic school and convinced the priest or the head of the school to allow her child into the school. And what took place next was very cruel and abusive because they allowed him entry into the school, but they told all of the other children that he was not of their faith and that they should have limited or no contact with him and that they should not discuss religion with him by any means or if he shares any of his religion with them, to not listen to it and report it immediately because he is a heretic. I mean, my gosh, here we're talking about a six or seven-year-old child. You know, it, it just, it, that when he gave that talk and talked about that uh, coming from his own voice, from his own being, and that podcast I listened to, that just literally floored me. It really took the wind right out of me. I mean, it just, you know, and this, 
started a whole chain reaction through his life that he ended up leaving his, I mean, at that age, he turned his back on God, or you want to say his God or his beliefs. He turned his back on all of it and declared it all to be just garbage. Um, and he continued in school, but it, it got to the point that he said between the ages of 10 and 14 years old, he attempted to take his own life to commit suicide several times by throwing himself in front of cars that were coming down the street. Unfortunately, this he wasn't hit, but he said multiple times when he did this, the drivers would get out of the vehicle and beat him, literally beat him, not ask him if he's okay, pull him aside and find out what's going on and talk to him, try to get him some help. They just physically beat him. This is a child now, still a child, between the ages of 10 and 14 years old. So now where this teaching that he's going to give and I'm going to share with you takes up is it, you've got that backstory. So add that to what I'm going to share here. And that's really going to give you a very round and full uh, picture of Metropolitan Anthony of Soros. Okay, so as we begin, keep in mind that Metropolitan Anthony Soros of Soros has no religious belief right now. I mean, he is as atheist uh, as, as all get out. I mean, he believes nothing in God, nothing in Christ, nothing in faith. Um, he's very anti all of that because of all that he's gone through. So he says, I met Christ as a person at a moment when I needed him in order to live. And at a moment when I was not in search of him, I was found. I did not find him. I was a teenager then. Life had been difficult in the early years, and now it had of a sudden become easier. All the years when life had been hard, I had found it natural, if not easy, to fight. But when life became easy and happy, I was faced quite unexpectedly with a problem. I could not accept aimless happiness. Hardships and suffering had to be overcome. There was something beyond them. Happiness seemed to be stale if it had no further meaning. As it often happens when you are young and when you act with passion, bent to possess either everything or nothing, I decided that I would give myself a year to see whether life had a meaning, and if I discovered it had none, I would not live beyond the year. So here he's saying that in addition to those 10, between 10 and 14, the incidents where he was, you know, attempting to commit suicide, here he affirms that he was giving himself one year to find out if life had meaning or not. And if it didn't, he was going to go through with taking his own life. And I'm so happy, beyond happy, and we are all so immensely blessed that God, the universe, the divine intervened and changed uh, this man's life and turned him, you know, help him turn into what he became and what we're going to experience just through this one teaching. So before I begin, 
continue, I should say, I want to ask everybody, do you know somebody in your life, it could even be you, um, that are very uneasy when you're happy, that you tend to function better when you're suffering? I, I know people that are like that, that um, there has to be some kind of suffering in their life for them to feel that life has meaning. I know it's really, if you're not one that goes through that and does that, it's very difficult to understand. But believe me, there are a lot of people in the world today that are very uneasy with happiness uh, because a lot of people, you know, for example, Metropolitan Anthony of Soros, he only knew of suffering. He identified with suffering. Um, so when he suffered, that felt like life, how life should be. Um, but when he was happy, it was very uneasy. Um, I know those people who have been abused as children that when they, as they grow and, and mature, they, they become like that, that they feel that they should suffer um, and that happiness, they don't deserve to be happy. And I think all of us can identify with that to a certain degree that we feel that we don't deserve to be happy. But please, on the contrary, you deserve infinite happiness and no one deserves to suffer. But unfortunately, we do suffer, you know, and there's ways through our faiths. Uh, each of you, I'm sure, has different ways in your faith. If you're not sure, look it up, research it. Um, as a matter of fact, we can actually do a show on different faiths and how they um, address suffering. Uh, that would be good. Maybe we'll do that in season two. How about that? We'll, we'll, we'll pencil that one in and we'll make that happen in season two. But don't have to wait until season two. Please look it up on your own. How does your faith um, address that, about, address suffering? What should you do with suffering? What should you do when you suffer? Because all faiths have ways of dealing with suffering. So we continue. He says, months passed and no meaning appeared on the horizon. One day, it was during Lent, and I was then a member of one of the Russian youth organizations in Paris. So he's now in Paris. One of our leaders came up to me and said, we have invited a priest to talk to you. Come. I answered with violent indignation that I would not. I had no use for church. I did not believe in God. I did not want to waste any of my time. Then my leader explained to me that everyone who belonged to my group had reacted in exactly the same way. And if no one came, we would all be put to shame because the priests had come and we would be disgraced if no one attended his talk. My leader was a wise man. He did not try to convince me that I should listen attentively to his words so that I might perhaps find the truth in them. He said, don't listen, he said. I don't care, but sit and be physically present. That much loyalty I was prepared to give to my youth organization and that much indifference I was prepared to offer to God and to his minister. So I sat through the lecture, but it was with increasing indignation and distaste. The man who spoke to us, as I discovered later, was a great man, but I was then not capable of perceiving his greatness. I saw only a vision of Christ and of Christianity that was profoundly repulsive to me. When the lecture was over, I hurried home in order to check the truth of what he had been saying. I asked my mother whether she had a book of the gospel. 
because I wanted to know whether the gospel would support the monstrous impression I had derived from this talk. So here he is in his teeth. And that, that leader was so very wise. And I agree with him. He was a wise man that here, you know, Metropolitan Anthony of Soros did not, I mean, very, very much um, stated his um, distaste and, and repulsion for not wanting to go to see this priest and hear his words. Um, but the, the, the leader was so wise as to put it in a way that, I mean, he knew. You could tell he knew um, how Metropolitan Anthony of Soros was um, and what he was going through. He knew more than what he led on. And he knew how to twist and word things to where he would get him to go. And by telling him that all of his other classmates and people in his group would said the same thing that they didn't want to go and how they would be disgraced, you know, with all that pride and stuff as a, as a teenager, you know, you don't want anybody, you know, being shameful on your group, you know, on your team. So, you know, he goes, but, you know, as he's listening, he's listening uh, with repulsion and with regret. And, you know, he's trying to find all this, um, all of these things wrong with what the, what the priest is saying. And as he said, you know, later on, he found out this priest was a very great priest, uh, that he just wasn't ready for what that priest had to say, obviously. I mean, because um, he just wasn't prepared. He didn't have that conditioning, that background um, to to get what the priest was saying. But there were things that were sticking in him, in his heart. Uh, and it all it did was fuel his anger <laughs> and his rage. But there was a peace deep down in his heart you know that divine spark in his heart that clung to what that priest had said and where he ran home and he said in, in the other um podcast i had listened to he said he actually lived a couple miles from from the school and you know he had to walk so he actually ran those miles home he was that in a hurry to check the words of this priest. So he runs into the house and asks his mom for a Bible and she has one and gives it to him, which he said, he said in this other podcast, I listened to that he still had the Bible that his mom had, had loaned to him. And he looked up these words uh, that the priest had shared, you know, the, the homily and the sermon and, and the lecture that the priest had given just to check the facts, you know, cause you got to make sure you check, check the facts. Okay, so we'll continue, and this is where the huge change happened in his life, the lightning bolt that struck him. He said, I expected nothing good from my reading, so I counted the chapters of the four Gospels to be sure that I read the shortest one, not to waste time unnecessarily. And thus it was the Gospel according to St. Mark, which I began to read. Now, again, referring back to the other podcast I had listened to on this, he, he talks about this. He said the reason he did, he said he knew, he knew that, I guess, from his previous Orthodox schooling, he remembered enough of that, um, that the four Gospels were kind of similar. You know, they were very much the same, telling the same story. So he chose the thinnest one, the smallest one, because, of course, he didn't want to waste his time, but he figured that that gospel would have or that book of the Bible would have would be able to either confirm or deny what the priest had told them. 
But he said also in this lecture that he gave on this podcast I listened to that he didn't know it, but the Gospel of Mark or St. Mark or the book of Mark in the Bible is geared more toward youths, towards young adults. He had no idea. So you see how the divine is working through this, is in working through him, is that, you know, here of all four gospels he could have read, he chose the one that was exactly, exactly the one he needed to hear. So he continues, I do not know how to tell you of what happened. I will put it quite simply, and those of you who have gone through a similar experience will know what came to pass. While I was reading the beginning of St. Mark's Gospel, before I reached the third chapter, I became aware of a presence. I saw nothing. I heard nothing. It was no hallucination. It was a simple certainty that the Lord was standing there and that I was in the presence of him whose life I had begun to read with such revulsion and such ill will. This was my basic and essential meeting with the Lord. From then I knew that Christ did exist. So this completely changed him from one to the other, one extreme to the other. He says, I met with the core of the Christian message that message which St. Paul formulated so sharply and clearly when he said, if Christ is not risen, we are the most miserable of all men. Christ was the risen Christ for me because if the one who had died nearly 2,000 years before was there alive, he was the risen Christ. I discovered then something absolutely essential to the Christian message that the resurrection is the only event of the gospel which belongs to history, not only past, but also present. Christ rose again 20 centuries ago, but he is the risen Christ as long as history continues. Only in the light of the resurrection did everything else make sense to me because Christ was alive and I had been in his presence. I could say with certainty that what the gospel said about the crucifixion of the prophet of Galilee was true in the light of the resurrection that I could read with certainty the story of the gospel knowing that everything was true in it because the impossible event of the resurrection was to me more certain than any event in history history I had to believe the resurrection I knew for a fact I did not discover as you see the gospel beginning with its first message of the Annunciation, and it did not unfold for me as a story which one could believe or disbelieve. It began as an event that left all problems of disbelief because it was direct and personal experience. He also goes on to say that the centurion at the crucifixion, for those who are, are familiar with the, with the crucifixion and the Passion of Christ, um, remember the centurion um, after Jesus had passed, the centurion said, truly, he is the son of God. He continues, then I went on reading the gospel and I discovered a certain number of things which I believe to be essential to the Christian faith, to the attitude of the Christian to the world and to God. The first thing that struck me is that God 
as revealed to us in Christ, is everyone's God. He is not the God of a nation or a confession or of a denomination or a more or less peculiar group. He is everyone's creator. And that's 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 something I want to emphasize. And I can't emphasize enough that regardless of your faith, God, the divine, the universe, whatever you want to refer or label that which cannot be labeled is your God, is everybody's God, is, and it doesn't matter, and I said this even when I taught uh, Buddhism, that a truth, regardless if you believe it or not, does not make it any less a truth. So God, divine, universe, again, that which you cannot label, that is all that is, is. Regardless if we believe in it or not, that doesn't change it at all. So he continues, In him I discovered that the whole world had cohesion, that mankind was one, that differences and divergencies were not final and decisive because we were loved of God. All of us equally, although we were called to serve him in a variety of ways, with a variety of gifts and with a very different depth and width of knowledge, but the greater the knowledge, the greater the closeness, the greater the responsibility in the world that God loved so much that he gave his only begotten son for him to die that the world may live. And that, again, I'll be getting more into this, and I keep referring to episode 20, I'm sorry, but it's, it's going to be good, believe me. <laughs> but again, it doesn't, and again, my personal opinions and beliefs, so don't hold anybody responsible other than me, and I take full responsibility for what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter your faith. It doesn't. God loves you regardless of what wrapper you come in or what you wear or how you look or the color of your skin or whatever, you know, human, animal, plant, whatever. God loves everything everyone equally in and that's one thing we have to keep in mind we all too often i'm getting into this in episode 20 but we all too often focus on the differences instead of focusing on the similarities and that's where we go wrong every time and i'll, I'll share a little bit more of, of that here as we go so he continues he says the second thing i discovered was that god not only does not want us to be subservient to him but that he stands as none other than other than for the dignity of man. He refuses to accept us as slaves. He does not permit us to forsake our dignity of sons and children. Remember the parable of the prodigal son and his humiliation. The prodigal son is prepared to recognize that he is not worthy to be called anymore a son, but in his longing to be accepted again into the forsaken household of the father he is prepared to be admitted into as a servant yet when he comes to making his confession the father allows him to say only i am not worthy to be called thy son but he interrupts him the father interrupts the son then because his son can be unworthy son but cannot be worthy as a servant so his sonship is a gift that cannot be lost although it can be profaned this vision of God who has respect for human dignity, who stands for it, who will not accept any debased relationship with man, filled me with admiration and with respect and with incipient love 
for him. And as a corollary, corollary, excuse me, I don't know how to pronounce that, corollary, the, the acceptance by God of utter humiliation and abasement. All the gods of the ancient world were great. They were the sum total of all that was valued and admired, justice, wisdom, goodness, power. Only God revealed in Christ defeats human imagination, could not be invented by man. A God made in the image of the servant, vulnerable, despised, humiliated, rejected, contemplatable, defeated, killed, ruled out, unredeemed in the eyes of men. A God no one would wish to invent or to have. A God one can discover when he reveals himself. A God who accepts with awe and with fear because he calls us to be like him, upturning all values and giving new meaning to all things. Okay, so before we continue, I want to give a disclaimer and warning here that this one's going to be a little long, and I sincerely apologize, but it is, if you've got to this point, I hope you're still interested, and it's really good, and there's so much information here. This is very beefy. This is this is very, there's a lot here and a lot to unpack. Uh, so I would just want to give that disclaimer you know, feel free to break this episode up into parts if you want to listen to, you know, what I've said so far and then listen to more later. Feel free to do so. But please, please continue to listen. So if any of you aren't familiar, those who aren't Christian, um, aren't familiar with the prodigal son um, the reference that he was giving, uh, there was a, a, you know, Jesus gave this uh, sermon and he used this, this story to get a point across, um, you know, the prodigal son was, you know, there was a guy who had two sons and one day one of the sons went up to the father and said, you know, you know, eventually you're going to die. You know, I know you're going to, you've got inheritance set aside for me and my brother because he had a brother, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And he said, you know, I want my inheritance now. I want, I'm, I'm moving out. I'm going out on my own. I want my inheritance now. So, you know, the father didn't dispute this. He went ahead and, and gave him what he would have given him if he, you know, when he would have passed. And so the son went off, you know, he went off and he went to a town and he whined and dined and gambled and, and, and did, you know, whatever, you know, you do when you have a lot of money and, and, and no sense of what to do with that money um, and no morals. And before you knew it, he was out of money. And so he took up work as a servant in the fields uh, for somebody and um, that wasn't panning out and he did that for a while and then you know there became um, a drought and a famine and he found himself in a really hard spot you know the where the you know the farmer that he was working for the pigs of the farmer were eating better than he was and he thought you know what this is crap i'm i'm going home i'm going to go home i'm going to throw myself at the mercy of my father i'm going to apologize profusely and beyond the beyond and and beg him to take me back as a servant because his father was kind of wealthy of course and had servants he goes because the servants his father had were eating better than he would have ever eaten on his own so he figured if i go back i can apologize dad will give me a job as a servant I can work for him and I'll still be better off than what I am now. So he, you know, on the way home, he's thinking, how am I going to say this? What am I going to say? And he's, you know, coming up with this speech. Well, 
you know, the father sees him from a distance coming and his father is just uh, uh, over the moon. He's beyond happy and elated, you know. How would you feel, if those of you who have children, that if your child went away and you ne- hadn't heard from your child in years and here comes your child back, you don't care why they left. You're so happy to see them. And, and this is the way the father was. The father called to his servants. He said, go get my finest robe. Go get a ring, you know, because back then they used rings as, a, as you know, a sign of, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, wealth and prosperity and, and, and class. Um, so he said, go get my finest robe and ring and, you know, bring them out here. My son has come back from the dead. So the kid gets up to his dad. He's getting ready to go into this spiel, you know, because he's, he's got this line. He's rehearsed, you know, th- a whole journey home. And his dad just cuts him off and just hugs and kisses him and says, welcome home. And, you know, puts this robe on him and puts this ring on his finger and, you know, the the kid's just overwhelmed. He's blown away that his dad's welcomed him back. So the dad calls out to the servants to, you know, get the, the fattest, you know, pig or whatever, kill it and grill it. And, you know, oh, I'm vegan and vegetarian. So that <laughs> excuse me as I wince <laughs> at that. Yes, I used to eat meat, but it, it's, it's nothing against those who do. Everybody has their own way, but it's kind of repulsive, just the, the visual <laughs> of it. But anyway, so he has this feast and this party, and you know he's, he's rejoicing that his son has come back from the dead. His son is home. And meanwhile, don't forget, there's another brother, and this brother was out in the fields working all day, and he's on his way home after working a hard day, and here it is, you know, sunset or you know night, and he hears all this loud music and party, and he's like, grabs one of the servants. He's like, what the hey is going on here? And the servants like, haven't you heard your brothers come home? So as you can only imagine, he was extremely upset to the point where he refused to go into the house. So the father learns that his other son is outside and won't come into the house. So he goes out to greet his son and he kind of the son kind of steps back and he's like what's going on he said well haven't you heard your brother has come back from the dead you know and the son just just like completely bowled over he's like i don't get it i'm the one that stayed here i'm the one that you know i didn't take your money and and run um you know i've stayed here by your side work day in and day out in your fields with your servants and blah 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 and I don't get it. And the father tries his best to explain it to the son that, you know, the how what the other son had gone through and, you know, that he was lost. But now he's found kind of thing. And, you know, the son just doesn't get it. So that's the 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 parable uh, of the two sons. uh, If you didn't already know that in or the prodigal son, I'm sorry. And. For those who are theologians out there, <laughs> I greatly apologize for taking such a beautiful parable and turn it in into macaroni art and giving it to people. <laughs> but honestly, I hope you can see it came from the core of my heart and I did my best. But I can honestly relate to this, and I'm sure most of you can as well. On many levels, I can relate as both sons. Um, you know, being from the the background in growing up that I had, 
um, the youth that I had, you know, I, my father left when I was 13 and I was declared man of the house. So I threw away my childhood and, and stepped into the role of being a father to my younger brother and sister and, you know, being the best that I could for my mother to help her out because, you know, here she had all this weight dumped on her shoulders and, you know, she had to really work a lot uh, to provide for us, bless her infinitely for all of her sacrifices and everything she did. So I can relate as that son, but I can also relate as the other son because I fell in love at 17 and um, met my amazing, beautiful, sage guru wife that she is and best friend. And we still are today, you know, 36 something odd years later. Um, but I, I left the house. I, I left home. I mean, um, and I, I, I sinned. I sinned against my mother in, in not just once, but several times. Uh, you know, we had a separation, but then we got back together and I worked with my mother in the same place of employment for, you know, a number of years. And at the age of 29, if you can believe it or not, um, I had a midlife crisis and pretty much a nervous breakdown. And um, you know, there's no, as my wife says, there's no excuse, but there's always a reason. And I'm not making any excuses for anything I, I've done or any of my sins. Um, it, it is, it is that, and I accept responsibility for that. But, you know, I gravely sinned against my mother and put her in a terrible, uh, predicament and situation to where, uh, she could have lost her job or worse, um, and for that, I'm forever sorry for. And, and I had such guilt and shame that I stayed away from my mother for almost 20 years. And because I just couldn't, I couldn't face her. I couldn't talk to her. I, I because I just felt like I was more or I should say lower than garbage. We can say I was I was the poo below the poo that was in the garden and I wasn't providing any fruit. So, um, and I know, I know that's, that's, you know, we shouldn't put ourselves down and it's something that I've worked through and continue to work through. I'm nowhere near a hundred percent, but I am happy to report that my mother and I have a, a beautiful and great relationship now that is, you know, growing so much fruit in abundance, uh, that it will go on forever and ever. Amen to that. <laughs> so again, I can relate to both of those stories, but I can also relate to the father. Those of you who have children, um, and I, I know some of you probably can't relate to it because your parents weren't loving unconditionally, but as a father, I can, I can relate. I, I love my son unconditionally. He is such an amazing being. I learn from him each and every moment, and I'm beyond blessed that he still lives uh, with my wife and I, and, and, you know, that I get to experience what I do with him. He's just I don't know. He's just so fascinating. So again, I can see that, but it's getting to back to, sorry, didn't mean to go off on a tangent here, but it's getting back to God, the universe, all that is that which you cannot label. That is all. And that unconditional love that that which is all God, the universe, whatever you wish to call that, which can't be labeled. I know I keep saying that, but I don't want to make sure I don't leave anybody out. I mean, all faiths are important and we all believe in this higher being, this higher energy, this higher vibration, this higher existence. And that thing, that 
it that everything that all loves us unconditionally it doesn't care who you were yesterday it doesn't care who you are today it doesn't care who you are tomorrow it loves you so continuing on sorry didn't mean to go off track there but continuing on with the teaching by uh, metropolitan anthony of soros he continues by saying then i discovered that the world was dear to god that he had not only made the world to remain afterwards its creator and become later its judge. He had created the world in an act of love, and he had never become alien and indifferent to this world he had thus created. The incarnation unfolded itself, and I am now speaking no longer of the first primeval experience of mine, but of something that has developed in the course of years. The incarnation unfolded itself into a variety of meanings of depth, but not only of meanings for the basic experience of reality remained always untouched. When we read the Old Testament, we may at moments think of the world once created by God moving and developing before the face of its creator and called one day to be judged. This vision is so poor and so inadequate to what the Old Testament teaches us. The fact that God called us all the world, visible and invisible, the fact that God called all things and beings out of naught, out of radical non-existence into existence is already a relationship. We are related to God by this act of creation and in this act of creation. When we think that whatever or whoever is called into existence is called to be a companion of God for all eternity, we can see the depth of the divine love and the extent of the divine risk. Because we are free to accept the love of God and to reject it, we can frustrate this love or fulfill this love. But God's love remains immutable and he remains faithful forever. He creates each of us in hope and in faith. And at moments when our faith facilitates or vacillates, excuse me, and our hope sways and wavers, we can rest in the divine faith and in the divine hope. When we think that the cost of our faithlessness and our waverings is paid by God in the life and death of the incarnate word, when we can rest assured in his love. There is a relatedness and a deep relationship between us and God in the very act of creation and in the very gift of freedom. Freedom is an absolute condition of love because love is the gift of oneself in perfect freedom and has no meaning apart from freedom. But there is more to it. The English word freedom is rooted in the old English word that means beloved or beloved. My free meant my beloved or beloved the word liberty liberty excuse me which signifies freedom in another language defines the status of the child born free in a free man's household the russian word for freedom indicates that we are called to be our own selves not to imitate not to ape not to resemble but to be ourselves in the image of the one who is perfect freedom and perfect love truly himself 
in all this, the relatedness there exists between us and God is revealed particularly in this final act of solidarity, which we call the incarnation. Not only did God remain concerned with us throughout history, but he became one of us through history. And this is not for a moment, but forever, not escaping the heaviness, the limitations, and the pain of our human destiny, but in order to carry on his human shoulders the consequences of his divine act of creation and of our human rebellion, our rejection of him, lovelessness, godlessness itself. The incarnation of the word of God, the becoming man, meant for him that he entered into the realm of time and of death and of limitation and of all the consequences of human godlessness. This solidarity was not for a moment. It was definitive. He became a man in human history and he remains a man forever because he sits on the right hand of the father. As a man with hands and feet pierced by nails and with his side pierced by the spear throughout history and throughout eternity, we can see this vision of the divine solidarity with us. This solidarity goes infinitely further than we often imagine. It is not simply that he was tired and hungry and thirsty, that he had to face ill will and unfriendliness and eventually hatred. He had to face something more basic to our mortal condition and more essential than this. He had to face the coming of death and actual dying. This is more than we can imagine because in the natural course of events, Christ could not die. A human body and a human soul united indissolubly and forever with the Godhead in the mystery and the miracle of the incarnation was beyond dying. Death was not only like ours, a result of our lack of life. It was the result of an act of divine will which inflicted death on one who was not only in his divinity, but even in his humanity alive with life eternal because life is defined by oneness or union with God. We see him in the garden on the Mount of Olives face to face with death coming upon him, abandoned by human friendship by those who were his disciples and were no longer solid with his destiny at that moment. He accepted death, which meant already the loss of what was his own being in life. Again, upon the cross, the decisive, the most tragic words of history, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because death is possible only through separation from the source of life, from the Godhead. And for him to die meant that he went through the experience of total, radical, real deprivation of God, of godlessness, not only as a world outlook not only as an absence of a sense of God but as a positive loss of the father there is not one man on earth who can claim to have known godlessness as Christ knew the absence of God at that moment without which absence he could not die this is the extent of the divine solidarity with us this also is the measure of the divine love and consideration God has for the friend he has created to be his companion for all eternity. 
People are often prepared to believe in the death of the cross, but not in the resurrection. How strange. To believe that life can die and not be able to believe that life can live? How strange also that we are so poor in the experience of things of our own faith that the only event of history which belongs to our own day is so obscure and we do not know the risen Christ while we imagine we are capable of knowing the Christ of the flesh, the, that Christ of whom Paul said that we do not know him anymore while we now know the Christ of the Spirit revealed and known to us by the Spirit of God. But in Christ we do not discover only the divine solidarity and incipiently, uh, as I have tried to show, the value which God attaches to us. We discover also that man is, because he is not only very God, he is also very man. Our vocation is to be what he is. This is the meaning of our belief in the church as a body of Christ. We are called to be live, real members of the real enlived body, the head of which is the Lord Jesus, one real body. What St. Ignatius of Antioch in the first century called the total Christ, head and body together. We are called to such intimate community of life with him that what he is, we also are to become. In other words, of one of the greatest writers of the fourth century, Athenaeus, excuse me, Athanasius of Alexandria, excuse me if I slaughtered that, who says, God has become man in order that we should become gods. Before we become gods, we must become men or women in the image of the one who became what we are, the extent to which we are called to be identified with him who chose, who chose to be identified with us is greater than we think. It is because we have a very mean vision of our calling that we are not aiming at the full stature of Christ. Irenaeus, I believe it is, Irenaeus, Irenaeus, excuse me, it's I-R-E-N-A-E-U-S, <laughs> you figure it out, of lions. See, I need to learn more of this. I can't even pronounce these words and these names. Of lions taught in the second century that if it is true that we are the body of Christ, that in him we are one, that our life is hid with Christ in God, then the final vocation of men is together with Christ because of our oneness with him to become the only begotten son of God or daughter and extension in time and in space and in eternity of this incredible, unfathomable relatedness and relationship with the father. If we have any orthodox brothers and sisters out there, I'm sure they're rolling their eyes right now saying that boy ain't right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I sincerely and deeply apologize. I'm doing my level best, but believe me, that level will increase and I will get better. And by all means, feel free to email me, contact me, and let me know of some great Orthodox books and, and 
and literature and stuff that I can read to educate myself, believe me, I am all for it and all in it. So please don't bash me. Help me. <laughs> so he continues and says, in that sense, we can say soberly, yet with what exaltation that Christ is the very center of history as he is the beginning of all things by the world were all things created and the end of all things because in him by the power of the Holy Spirit we shall in our total humanity have reached to the fullness of our human vocation and God shall be all in all when we think of the life of Christ and of the death of Christ it is with anguish that we think of the extraordinary insensitiveness and indifference with which we partake in what we see in him. The act of perfect intercession, the act by which he took a step that brought him to the core of the human tragedy, the act by which he became the man of whom the book of Job speaks in the ninth chapter, who could take his stand between God and one who was judged by God in order to bring both together. The one who is an equal of both and therefore can bring them together in his own self, but also at his own cost, because every act of intercession is an act of sacrifice. And he couldn't have said it any better. I mean, my gosh, what a sage, uh, what a prophet, what, what a saint. Um, again, I don't know of any... I don't know much about the Orthodox faith yet and how they go about the recognition of saints. If you, again, any Orthodox brothers and sisters out there, if you can let me know so I can let everybody know uh, where we are uh, as, as far as, you know, Metropolitan Anthony of Soros becoming a saint, has he been nominated? I mean, I don't know quite what your, uh, your church's procedures are on that. If anyone can enlighten me on it or share anything, Please, please contact me. Um, I would be, I am very, very, very interested um, and intrigued. And I'm sure everybody listening would love to know as well. But again, this is what I'm getting into more in, I keep referring to episode 20, but this is what I'm going to be getting more into episode 20 is, you know, this religious indifference. We've got to stop the religious indifference. And I'm not going to go too much into it now because I'm, uh, this show has already, this episode has already gone long enough. And I apologize and thank you all for staying tuned in and for listening. Um, but we, we've got to stop. I mean, if Jesus came back today, how would we treat him? I mean, would we treat him any different than they treated him back then? I mean, with today's culture, he'd be canceled probably immediately. He'd be labeled um, a, a devil. You know, he'd be labeled a, a fake a heretic. He would be, um, you know, who knows? You know, it, it's, it's it's terrible. It's truly tragic. And we need to find the similarities and focus on those in our faiths, between our faiths, instead of focusing on the, the differences. And again, like I said, I'll get more into that into um, in episode 20. So Metropolitan Anthony of Soros is going to start wrapping things up here by giving us this illustration. He says, I would like to illustrate this vision of sacrifice and its consequences for us by something taking something taking from the late history of the Russian church. In the years of the Civil War, when the opposing armies were contending for power, conquering and losing ground in the course of three years, a small town fell into the hands of the Red Army, which had been held by the remnants of the Imperial troops. 
A woman found herself there with her two small children, four and five years of age, in danger of death because her husband belonged to the opposite camp. She hid in an abandoned house, hoping that the time would come when she would be able to escape. One evening, a young woman of her own age, in her early 20s, knocked at the door and asked her whether she was so-and-so. When the mother said she was, the young woman warned her that she had been discovered and would be fetched that very night in order to be shot. The young woman added, you must escape at once. The mother looked at the children and said, how could I? The young neighbor, who thus far had been nothing but a physical neighbor, became at that moment the neighbor of the gospel. This woman said, you can because I will stay behind and call myself by your name when they come to fetch you, but you will be shot, said the mother. Yes, she replied, but I have no children, and she stayed behind. Wow, doesn't that blow you away? Talk about love your neighbor as yourself or see the Christ in, in everybody and to lay down your life um, for somebody else. Uh, he continues on. We can imagine what happened then. We can see the night coming, wrapping in the darkness, in gloom, in cold, and damp, this cottage. We can see there is a woman who was sitting for her death, waiting for her death to come, and we can remember the Garden of Gethsemane. We can imagine this woman asking that this cup should pass her by and being met like Christ by divine silence. We can imagine her turning in intention towards those who might have supported her, but who were out of reach. The disciples of Christ slept, and she could turn to no one without betraying. We can imagine that more than once she prayed that at least her sacrifice should not be in vain. And here we can see the image of another man who stood before death and hesitated. The greatest of those born to a woman, John the Baptist, who as death was coming to him, sent two of his disciples to Christ to ask him, Is it really you? Or should we expect another one? If it really is you, then all the sacrifices of my youth, all the years in the wilderness, all the hatred I was surrounded by, the coming of death, my diminishing in order that you might grow, is a blessedness. But if it is not you, then I have lost my life. I have lived and I shall die in vain. Here again, the prophet received the reply of the prophet, but no word of consolation. This young woman probably asked herself more than once what would happen to the mother and the children when she was dead. And there was no reply except the word of Christ. No one has greater love than he who lays down his life for his friend. Probably she thought more than once that in one minute she could be secure. It was enough to just open the door at that moment and go out into the streets, and she was no longer that woman. She became herself again. It was enough to deny her false, her shared identity. We can see again one of the strongest men in history, Peter the Apostle, challenged by a woman in the coldness of night and in desperate loneliness denying in order to save his life. She died shot. The mother and the children escaped. 
And here we see one more thing, which will be the last I wish to mention. St. Paul tells us, It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. We often wonder at, that, at the meaning of these words. How can Christ live in one? We can have an inkling of this meaning from the life of this mother and her children. They remained alive because another died. They have remained aware throughout their lives that they lived on borrowed life. Their life was cut off the earth by the hatred of men, and it was given back by the love of this woman. If they were alive, it was because she had lived. Her life was theirs. They had to live and fulfill her life. They had to live as she had taught them. Is not this something which we can learn also? Is not this what we must learn from the act of perfect solidarity which we find in the incarnation, from the inseparable courage and love of God, from the garden of Gethsemane and the death upon the cross? Solidarity not only between ourselves, but with every person, because God is solid with godless as with the saint. The victory of life is in us, not only because we receive the miraculous gift of life from God, but because if we live as he taught us, he will be alive in us and we shall be alive in him now and for all eternity. Wow. So <laughs> that is probably without a doubt one of the greatest and deepest teachings I have read and experienced for a long time. And I, I really hope that you all have made it to this point. And again, I sincerely and deeply apologize that the show went as long as it did. Again, I hope that if you weren't able to listen to it in its entirety, that you were able to break it up into pieces. I thought about making this a multi-parter, but um, once you get into the momentum of, of, of the show and the teaching and, um, you know, I, I'm not a seer or prophet, nor do I ever say that I am because I'm not. I'm, again, I'm the compost below the compost that doesn't produce fruit. Um, in my mind, um, but I do my level best uh, to channel, I shouldn't say channel, but to allow the divine to speak. And when I get on this and it starts to flow, um, I, I want to let it flow. I don't want to, you know, put a cap on it and say, I'll, I'll come back to it later. And I want that. I want you all to have that experience as well. Um, I don't want to ever interrupt the flow of the divine you know, if, if God, the universe, all that is, is speaking to you through this teaching of the incredible, oh my gosh, Metropolitan Anthony of Soros, uh, who am I to stop and say, oh, well, uh, you wait, wait a week and I'll, I'll give you the rest or wait another week and I'll, we'll break it down into two, three parts. Anyway, I again, uh, sincerely apologize, but I hope you feel where I'm coming from on this and I really really hope you've enjoyed all of this I will have a link uh, to this entire teaching on the website in the show notes uh, so you guys can actually look at it and study it yourself there's so much in here to unpack quote as they say 
Um, there's teachings within teachings within teachings. Um, I will also include a link uh, to the podcast that um, that he that uh, who I, I, it doesn't say who did the podcast from from what I can see, but infinite blessings again to that person for sharing the audio of these lectures that you know Metropolitan Anthony of Soros, uh, also known as you know Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, um, did, and I think the the podcast is called Homilies of Metropolitan Anthony Bloom. But again, all that information will be in the show note links um, section, um, so you can check that out. I so much encourage. I'm still going through it myself. There's so much there, and it's if you enjoyed hearing me read his words, you will be beyond moved by hearing his words from him. It's it uh, again. It's here. I go. Truly amazing. He's beyond words. And again, uh, thank you all for tuning in. And I'm going to give you the information here in just a second on how you can access the website and contact me. So we have two ways that you can contact me. And also we have a website for the show now, which is incredible. And it's I've gotten a lot of great feedback uh, about the website, about how easy it is now to access the show, to access the show notes, to listen to the show. You can do it all through the website now. Again, nothing against Anchor. Anchor is amazing. Anchor's great. Anchor's the reason the show is here and the reason why you're listening to it. Um, I don't have the funds to pay for uh, a service to do this. I don't have the funds to pay for a service for a website. And so, you know, infinite blessings to Anchor and also um, infinite blessings to Wix site who is providing the free website for us. And that web address is faith and more podcast, all one word, faith and more podcast dot Wix site, W I X S I T E again, W I X S I T E dot com slash my dash site S I T E. So it's faith and more podcast dot dot com slash my dash site. Sorry. Sorry. It's so long, but it's serving a blessed purpose. And I can't thank them and all and the divine enough for continually continually supporting the show, inspiring the show. Um, I've said before that this show is from the divine. Um, I didn't honestly want to do the show in the beginning. It came to me and it kept coming to me um, in my head and in my heart that this is something that should be done, to which I kicked and screamed as I did as a child when it was time for me to get a shot. My mom can tell you all about how many nurses it would take to hold me down. I wasn't that bad, but I was close to it because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time, but oh my goodness, this is such a blessing. And I hope you all are blessed, are are feeling the blessings and experiencing the blessings as well. So please go to the website, listen to the, you know, access all the information on the show, the show notes. Like I said, there's also a link on there where you can contact me. Um, if you don't want to do that and you want to contact me just directly itself, I do have an email address. It is faithandmorepodcast, again, all one word, 
at gmail.com. Again, that's faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you go to the website and you need prayers or want people to pray for you or just want me to pray for you, I love to pray. Prayer is such a big part of my life. It's such a core of my life. I love to pray. Um, And I would love to pray for you. So there is a form at the bottom of the website that you can fill out. Um, It says your first name, last name, um, email address in a comments section. The only thing that's required there is the email address. You don't have to share your name. If you wanted to share your first name, I don't share any of the information that I'll be getting. That's just between me and you. And in the remarks, you would put your prayer request or intentions. Um, Please, by all means, use that form if you want me to pray for you, if you want the show to pray for you. Please make sure you note in there with your prayers if you want it just to be me to pray or if you would not mind me sharing it with the show. I don't have to give your name. I don't have to give the particulars. But as you know, when you pray, the more information you have on a person, the more you're able to kind of direct and channel your prayers. And the more prayers you have going for a certain person, a certain thing, a certain purpose, um, the more powerful, the better. So I encourage everybody to do that. So as we wrap things up here, finally, I know everybody's saying, finally, he's going to shut up. <laughs> but as we wrap things up here, uh, again, this week, I would like to close the show with a prayer instead of doing a song of the week. Uh, I plan on getting back to the song of the weeks, but I think it's important as well to incorporate prayer as well. And of all prayers, this is a very simple prayer, and it is From what I have gathered, again, Orthodox brothers and sisters, don't be upset with me if I'm incorrect. Please gently correct me. Um, One of the core prayers of the Orthodox faith that I have found thus far in my studies is a prayer called the Jesus Prayer. Now, this is a prayer that you can say. It's quite simple, quite easy. Uh, I will give you the English version. There's also a, a very beautiful Greek version. And I'll have links to an awesome video Uh, of an Orthodox priest um, teaching you the Greek um, prayer of Jesus. And it's, again, it's very beautiful. It's very simple. Um, But the prayer of Jesus uh, is, is, it's very simple, very easy. And it goes, Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. That's it. It's that simple. But the words are so powerful. Again, Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And you can say that over and over and over and over and over again. You know, in, in Eastern philosophy, we call that a mantra. You know, in, in um, I guess in Catholicism, they would call that a rosary. In fact, the Orthodox have what they call prayer rope, which has knots in it. It's beautiful. Look look it up on Etsy. They're, oh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're amazing. No, they're, they're, they're beautiful. And, and they're, it's so powerful. So you could have a prayer rope or you could just say this over and over and over and over. Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. Or you can say, Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on us. Or, you know, if you're wanting to pray for somebody that needs your prayers, you know, you can say, you know, Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on so and so, you know. So that is the prayer I will leave you with for this week. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and listening. I'm so looking forward to seeing you all again. But until then, lots of love and blessings to each of you. 